back to another OTR playlist. With last week being the anniversary of D-Day on June 6th, I thought I'd put together um, a couple different episodes. What we're going to have here is uh, we're going to have the speech that FDR gave to the uh, to the nation on June 6th, 1944. Um, followed by that, I'm going to have it was the Orson Welles show, which the normal program was canceled. And uh, this was from June 7th, the day after D-Day. And also following after that, we'll have the Bob Hope show, the D-Day show. And after these episodes, uh, I'm going to put on the uh, CBS radio uh, D-Day broadcast. Um, it's a little longer than the other stuff, so... I'm going to put that to the end, uh, but it's pretty interesting stuff. So hope you enjoy this. Um, I like putting on some, I like the radio shows, but I also like getting some actual old newscasts and stuff like that. So hope you enjoy this episode of uh, OTR Playlist. My fellow Americans, last night when I spoke with you about the fall of Rome... I knew at that moment that troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. It has come to pass with success thus far. And so, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace, and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day, without rest, until the victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men, are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance 
and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of special prayer. But because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer as we rise to each new day and again when each day is spent let words of prayer be on our lips invoking thy help to our efforts give us strength to strengthen our daily tasks to redouble the contributions we make in the physical and the material support of our armed forces. And let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travel, to bear sorrows that may come, to impart our courage unto our sons, wheresoever they may be. And, O oh Lord, give us faith Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of our spirit ever be dulled. Let not the impacts of temporary events, of temporal matters of but fleeting moment, let not these deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With thy blessing, we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. The following program will be interrupted to bring you any late news developments. Good evening. 
This is Orson Welles. Instead of our regular program at this time, the makers of Mobile Gas and Mobile Oil and the Mercury Theater bring you a special broadcast. My dearest son, I guess June 6th and 7th will be always remembered in history. I know that none of us will ever forget those days, even we who live at home. Your father will have more to remember about these two days and more to tell you. I don't know where he is now as I write this. Somewhere in the north of France it must be. But when he comes back, and oh, my dear little son, I pray to God he will come back. When he comes back, I know he'll have a better story to tell than this. Anyway, here's our side of it, here on the home front. That's what the papers call it, the home front. Sometimes I, I feel kind of ashamed of that expression. It really isn't much of a front. We do have trouble getting houses, and there isn't much room on the streetcars. Sometimes the steak is a little tough, but there aren't any of us living on K rations, and... Altogether, the war is pretty easy to fight here in sunny California. We work hard. Don't let anybody tell you we've let down because we haven't. And we won't. And our work is important. But nobody out here sleeps in a bomb shelter. And for the last two days, everybody's started to realize that again. And I, I think that's part of the reason why the whole city's been so quiet ever since Monday night. You know, even the people out here who don't have anybody to worry about, even those people are telling themselves again how lucky they are. And sometimes luck can be sort of embarrassing. We first heard the news at 12.35 a.m., I work on the P-38 center section assembly over at Lockheed, and I, I was having trouble fixing the air hose. I just hope I can get Josie, that's all. She's the only one who knows how to do my hair. Hand me that, will you please? Why don't you go where I go, Lillian? Well, I hate to change. I tell you what, we'll meet for lunch tomorrow, and I'll take you. I, I used to have a lot of trouble. They always left it too flat at the sides. It made my face look too Attention. hard. Attention, everybody. We have just heard the following news on the radio. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. That's funny. I've been waiting for this, and I don't know. What do you mean? I always thought it was going to be different. I thought maybe everybody would cheer. It's too early to cheer. Here is the text of the order of the day from General Dwight D. Eisenhower announcing invasion of Europe. You are about to embark upon a great crusade. The eyes of the world are upon you, and the hopes and prayers of all liberty-loving peoples go with you. You go with superior arms, security from the air, and incontestable right on your side. 
let us all observe a minute's silence for prayer. My shift was over then. Lil and I walked to the parking lot together, neither one of us talking. Nobody around was talking much. I said goodnight to Lil. I, I wanted to get to a radio, and I don't have one in my little 39 Chevy. So I stopped off at Joe Fernandez. That's a greasy spoon not far away from Lockheed. A lot of the kids hang out there. Only I'd forgotten Mr. Fernandez doesn't have a radio. A radio? Yes, I want to hear the news. Why should I keep one of them? Who's going to play my joke box? But Mr. Fernandez, I... You want to hear the news? I want to capture Romy yesterday. Good, huh? Hold up a third Mr. Fernandez, haven't oh, you heard? The invasion started. Oh, sure, I know. Yes, yes, the invasion. They just announced it. Uh, all the time to make announcement yesterday. Invasion. The invasion, day before the oh, telegraph. That's a fake. Sure, it's a fake. The day before telegraph goes, yeah, she make a mistake, girl. eh? Sure, that's a mistake. About an hour ago, some fella come in here. He said the German. He sent over news. That's a fake, too. Yeah, Gonna be lots of that. You watch. They don't go over till September. September, you're crazy. But, Joe, I, we like heard it at the plant. They made an announcement on the loudspeaker. Did you hear that, Paul? Yeah. Is that right, Glenn? Yes, it came over the loudspeaker at the plant. What was that? Oh, oh, yes. yes. Well, I got a radio in my car. Let's go out and listen. Hey, she's got a radio in my car. I don't know. All I heard was that Allied troops landed on the northern coast of France. Hey, mister, what about the eggs you all You eggs, mister. You know, the Hold it. We'll be back. I still think it's a fake. Well, come on, let's go find out. I hope nobody steals their drink. <laughs> oh, Wally, how you carry on. Well, here it is. We'll get it in a minute. And so, for headache caused by hyperacidity... Oh, hey, what's going on? Listen to the radio. It's about the invasion. Effective civil administration of France. I'll bet you it's out to you, All persons must continue in their press duties unless otherwise instructed. Henry! It's General Eisenhower. What? It's General Eisenhower. They shouldn't be. You yourself. He's talking to the underground. And the government under which you wish to live. In the course of this campaign, for the final defeat of the enemy, you may sustain further loss and damage. Tragic though they may be, they are part of the price of victory. I assure you that I it's an invasion, all right. will do all in my power to mitigate your hardship. I know that I can count on your steadfastness now. The heroic deeds of Frenchmen who have He's continued their struggle against their Nazi there. and their fishy satellites. All right, all right, turn that thing down, will you please? Wake up the whole neighborhood. Yeah, but officer, you heard me. I it on too loud. Oh. Officer, it's the invasion. What? The invasion, they have it. Yeah, this is the invasion. Quiet. In I want to hear this. Great battles lie ahead. I call upon all who love freedom to stand with us. Keep your faith strong. Our arms are resonant. Together, we shall achieve victory. We descend you now to New York. This is Bob Trout in the Columbia Navy. Oh, oh, you have just heard General Eisenhower. Oh, I missed the what about the eggs, Mother? They got nice clothes. What about the eggs? While we're waiting for more bulletins, which are coming in now, here's an item from a South England embarkation port. An officer explaining to a private who asked where he was going said, You're going to have a nice holiday by the sea. You won't have any KP or fatigue details or training or anything. Just relax. <laughs> Some relaxer. Yeah. Yeah.
We stood there in the middle of the street, a whole crowd of us standing around the car, all of us listening. After a while, I, I think a lot of us felt like getting home. I know I did. So then when the King of Norway went on the air and started speaking Norwegian, I went back over to my car and drove as fast as I could go to the apartment. Oh, it looked so strange. The apartment building, I mean. Everybody's lights were on all over the place. Even old Mrs. Borgeson, who's never up after eight. Her little dog was barking, and Levinson's little baby was crying. And, of course, everybody was playing their radios. Hello, dear. You heard the news? Good evening, Miss Borgeson. Yes. Yes, I've been listening. It's wonderful, isn't it? Just wonderful. You, you heard about it? What's that, Mr. Levinson? Airborne troops, they landed there. Thousands, he said, already in parachutes. Mr. Levinson, I keep telling you, he said airborne. That's something different than paratroopers. Look like I'm telling you, airborne is paratroopers, paratroopers is airborne. It's all the same to me. What do you think they got? Maybe jet propulsion. Huh. Look what we got now around here. Mr. Major George Fielding Elliott already. Excuse me, what? What's he saying now? Uh, French. French. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before that, they had on the fellow from Holland. But by me, the main news is the paratroopers. This looks to me very strategic. Quentin Reynolds we got. So, Mr. Big Mouth, now you got up the baby already. The baby is up, so leave him be up. A night like this is going to hurt him. Besides, we can't ask everybody to turn down their radio, so the baby is up. Right. Like I tell you, Mr. Levinson, if airborne troops and paratroopers were all the same, the man wouldn't talk about both of them. Wait a minute. Who should know better? Ask Helen. Her husband is a paratrooper. Max, Shasha. What's this Shasha business? So what did I say? The lady's husband is a paratrooper? So Max. I would... Oh. Excuse me. Excuse me. I, I didn't think. Well, that's all right, Mr. Levinson. tenseness in the air that nobody talked about. In the early evening, Major Richardson came into the enclosure. He stood for a moment watching the men in the small recreation area, and then he called them into the briefing room, and the pilots, co-pilots, navigators, and radio men clustered around the Major in the briefing room. There was a large-scale map on the wall showing the course to be followed. Men, I think this is it. All I want to know now is is there anyone who doesn't know exactly what to do? <coughs> okay. Get your stuff and report to the operations room immediately. I'm going down to the colonel to get the weather report. You, uh... You all want to get back, don't you? You can say that again, sir. Then, damn it, get in there and fight. The crews piled into their trucks to go first to the operations office and then to the line where their planes were drawn up ready to go. As they moved toward the airport, the vast long columns of airborne troops appeared. 
trudging slowly under their full loads of battle equipment. General Eisenhardt visited them during the afternoon, quietly passing among the men and chatting with them, asking their names about their homes and their jobs. Outside the door of each C-47, the soldiers assembled, checked their equipment, ground crews and combat crews gave the planes a final tuning up. Heavily laden transport planes began taxiing along in a long procession toward the runway. The paratroopers adjusted their packs, donned their May West and chutes and climbed into the planes. Each was so heavily loaded that he had to be pushed from behind and pulled from above to get up to the steps going into the plane. As the men settled in their bucket seats on the plane I was to fly in, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Cole, a commanding officer aboard, came up to them. There's a, a doc coming over to give you some pills. That'll keep you from getting airsick. Sure. Make yourselves as comfortable as you can. Uh, better try to sleep a little. Thank you, sir. I know one thing. My parachute's okay. My mother checked it. <laughs> His mother checked it. No kidding. She works in the Pioneer Parachute Company in our town. And her job's giving the once-over to all the shoots that come out of there. Well, I'm okay. Almost before we knew it, we were trundling past the operation buildings in the control tower. And then, foot by foot, almost inch by inch, we began to rise above the fields and trees of southern England. All about us and below us was such a glimmering fabric of light as I had not seen in the eight months I had been in blackout England. Four times we circled the field, its runways and perimeter outlined in sparkling white lights. Through the sky, formation lights of the plane strung almost to the limit of vision. Look, for all the world like holiday decorations. As the long procession straightened out in its pre-established course, signal lights blinked and navigators checked their speed and direction of the pilots began their continuous plotting of position. We were right on course and one minute early. I went back to see how the paratroopers were riding. More than half of them had taken the colonel's advice and were dozing with their heads back against the wall and their feet stretched out in front of them. The rear door was open, and down below I saw more signal lights blink, and then we crossed the coast of England and pushed out over the channel. The sea was calm, and soon the moon brightened the water made the ripples below us twinkle. Hey, Tiny, tell the colonel it's 30 minutes till jump time. Yeah. I looked straight ahead, and... I caught my first glimpse of the coast of France. Navigation had been perfect. We could see the beach ahead precisely at the point we'd studied it on the maps and aerial photographs. The moon was almost full. And as our strong ship crossed above the breakers into the air of France, we plunged into a bank of cloud or fog and lost sight of the plains around us. In a matter of two or three minutes, we were flying formation on instruments. Then we emerged into clear moonlight. The small fields looked peaceful with their orderly hedgerows. Now the paratroopers were on their feet, each adjusting his pack, snapping his ripcord over the static line. That's a cable which ran along the center of the cabin ceiling, so each chute would open automatically as each paratrooper jumped through the door. Are you all set? Everybody get everything? Here, get this thing hooked for me, and let's get going. That was Colonel Cole taking his place with his men. The jump lights, a small bank of signal lamps were gleaming beside the door. They blinked, and then, before I could get ready to watch, the paratroopers started jumping. I wanted to know how long it would take the 18 men to jump. I, I tried to count. 101, 102, 103, to the estimate of number of seconds, you know. It may have been 11 or 12, but no more, and then our, our passengers were gone. 
All except one. They, they jumped so swiftly, one had been pushed against the door frame and was thrown back into the cabin so violently that he was dazed. The men behind him had shoved him aside and gone off. After a moment, he climbed to his feet and started for the door. Staff Sergeant Eberly stopped him. I'm okay, Tiny. Let me go. Ah, easy, soldier. Pass the drop zone. I don't care. I'll find him. I'll get back. It's too late. You gotta let me, Tiny. The guys will think I'm yellow. Please, Tiny, I'm all right, I tell you. Relax, soldier. Nobody's gonna think you're yellow. You can't jump now. We'll be over the channel in a minute. Sit down and take it easy. Ah, you'll get another chance. I went back to the front of the ship and looked out the glass dome. Tiny streams of tracer bullets were curling upward from the ground behind us. One of the pilots in our squadron had unwittingly left all of his formation lights on. The tracers came close to his wingtips, but we saw nothing that looked like heavy ack-ack, except in the far distance. We'd been over France only 11 minutes. Behind us, we could still see an occasional flare, and below a few more ships, but we couldn't tell what they were. The Battle of Europe had begun. And our squadron had delivered the first Allied soldiers to their scene of action. This is Brian Bryant in London, returning you now to New York. Yes? Come in. Excuse me. I got here a little soup. I thought maybe you was hungry, huh? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Levinson. You've been listening? Yeah. We've been listening. Who hasn't? Uh, you know that one fellow, something went wrong, who didn't jump? You shouldn't worry too much. Maybe that fellow, he could be your husband, huh? Could be. Oh, it wasn't his fault. He wanted to jump. I hope it wasn't my Ned. You hope it wasn't? Maybe I shouldn't say that. I know Ned wouldn't want that to be him. He'd want to get there first. That's why he's a paratrooper. Whoever it was, he wanted to jump. It wasn't his fault. He'll, he'll go the next time. Let's see what they're saying. We don't know where the next blow may fall. Prepare yourself for all eventualities. Today, tomorrow, or at any time. Before we knew it, it was daylight. Mrs. Levinson and Miss Jamison made coffee for us all and fixed a little breakfast. Come on, honey, have a little toast at least. Do you good. Thanks, no, but I, I will have some more coffee. Eat something, darling. Look how you look. Yeah, I'm going to take a shower. I've got to get to work pretty soon. Look, uh, already they're ten miles in. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Mr. Harmon. Uh, already they're ten miles in. Wait and see, Mama. It's going to be quicker than we thought. Don't be so sure. They got into Italy all right. But after that, look how long it took. It ain't easy. You never can tell what'll happen. One little thing goes wrong. Look at Dieppe. But 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 that was a different thing. That, that was two years ago. From, from this, we learned a lesson. Yeah. The way it turns out, the, the fellows that died there wasn't wasted. I like what the king said. He said, the spirit of the people burned up like a bright flame. And he said, now is the time when we don't fight to keep the Nazis away, but to win the war. He said, everybody should pray. Keep on praying. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he said. And the queen said so, too. Of course, they said it better. 
I tried to get a little sleep, and then about one o'clock, I went over to Lillian's, and we sat by her radio for a while. She phoned the beauty parlor and canceled our appointments. And then we got to talking and decided to go and sign up for nurse's aid. You can do that on a part-time basis. And then we went to work. Listen, there's going to be an announcement. Attention, everybody. Attention, please. During this last shift, the president made a special broadcast. For the benefit of all of you who've been working and couldn't hear it, we're now going to read you his message. My fellow Americans, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day has set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace. A peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Lillian slept in my apartment Tuesday night. Of course, we didn't really sleep. We listened and read and read and listened. We heard today from our headquarters that we're making progress on the whole front. We heard all kinds of things. Rumors and facts and more rumors. Some things were important and some weren't, but I don't know... Somehow, these last few days, everything seems important. One little story made a big impression on me for some reason. It was about a Brooklyn G.I. Joe in Rome. Papers didn't give his name. He got up on the balcony where Mussolini used to stand. We've all seen it in the newsreels. And then he made a speech like Mussolini used to make. <laughs> oh, it must have been funny. That Brooklyn boy making faces and shouting double talk and the crowd below him loving it. <laughs> I got the idea. They'd heard double talk from that balcony before. Only now, this time they could laugh at it out loud. And speaking of double talk, the first official Japanese statement about the invasion was pretty funny, too, in its own peculiar Japanese way. <laughs> anti-axis landing operations on the European continent must be highly welcome to the Germans. We can well imagine the jubilation in the German high command 
on the receipt of the news of the invasion. Thank you. afternoon we heard from Switzerland that a large Allied fleet was seen off the French-Italian coast. That about takes it up to now. I'm going to put this letter away for you to read later on. Maybe your father will enjoy in reading it when he comes back. And when you're old enough, my dearest little Robert, I think you'll like to know about these last two days. I know I I haven't had anything special to say. I've been a long way off from where things have been happening. I've just been one of the millions and millions waiting at home and listening to the radio and reading all the papers. That's all. But I've tried to show you what it was like here and what we felt like and what we thought about. When you're old enough, little Robert, I hope you'll read very carefully the words of General Eisenhower. They'll probably teach them to you in school. But I'm putting them down here in this letter anyway. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you're about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving peoples everywhere march with you. You'll bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy's well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. You'll fight savagely, but this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeat in open battle, man-to-man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We'll accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us beseech of Almighty God his blessing upon this great and noble undertaking. That was his order of the day, General Eisenhower. They say it went to every man who had a part in the invasion. I guess maybe I shouldn't use that word. The president wants us to call it the liberation. I'm sure that's the way your father thinks of it. And now, my little Robert... This is the end of the first letter anybody ever wrote to you. It has to be ended now because your mother has a lot of work to do. A 
whole lot of planes to help build. And she hasn't got much more time for work. And even if by any chance your name shouldn't be Robert, if it should turn out to be Dorothy, I know you'll want to hear about these last two days. June 6th and 7th, 1944. Your loving mother. Ladies and gentlemen, You've just heard Agnes Moorhead and the Mercury Theater in a special broadcast brought to you by the makers of mobile gas and mobile oil instead of our regular Wednesday night program. Please join us again next week. Till then, I remain, as always, obediently yours. You'll be sure to get the latest invasion news if you keep tuned to WEAS. NBC will interrupt any and all programs for special bulletins. Keep listening to WEAF New York. Continuing NBC's coverage of the invasion news of D-Day, the following program will be interrupted without delay to bring you the latest invasion news. Keep tuned to this station. This is Bob Hope speaking from a P-38 airfield out here near Van Nuys, California. We look forward to being with these men and doing our regular show here, but of course nobody feels like getting up and being funny on a night like this. But we did want to go through with our plans and visit with these fellas because these are the same kind of boys that are flying those 11,000 planes on our big effort. What's happened during these last few hours, not one of us will ever forget. How could you forget? You sat up all night by the radio and heard the bulletins, the flashes, the voices coming across from England... The commentators, the pilots returning from their greatest of all missions, newsboys yelling in the street, and it seemed that one world was ending and a new world beginning, that history was closing one book and opening a new one. And somehow we knew it had to be a better one. You sat there and dawn began to sneak in, and you thought of the hundreds of thousands of kids you'd seen in camps the past two or three years, the kids who scream and whistle when they hear a gag in a song. And now you could see all of them again in 4,000 ships in the English Channel, tumbling out of thousands of planes over Normandy and the occupied coast. In countless landing barges crashing the Nazi gate and going on through to do the job that's the job of all of us. The sun came up and you sat there looking at that huge black headline. That one great black word with the exclamation point, invasion. The one word that the whole world has waited for, that all of us have worked for. We knew we'd wake up one morning and have to meet it face to face. The word in which America's invested everything these 30 long months. The efforts of millions of Americans building planes and weapons. The shipyards and the men who took the stuff across. Little kids buying war stamps and housewives straining bacon grease. Farmers working around the clock. Millions of young men sweating it out in camps and fighting the battles that paved the way for that headline this morning. Now the investment must pay for this generation and all generations to come. And folks, what a wonderful thing it is that no matter the price, the reward will be greater than the sacrifice. We hope that thought can go along with a prayer tonight. The prayer of a whole nation. God bless those kids across the English Channel. Oh. 
Thank you, Francis Langford. Now, here's a medley of our military tune in a salute to all our forces. Stan Kenton, Francis Langford is now going to sing an appropriate tune, Good Night, Wherever You Are. Take it, Francis.
Sam Catlin is band playing. I know that you know. Sure, Sam. Thank you very much, Stan Kent. Ladies and gentlemen, we took a sort of a poll today to find out what number these boys here would like to hear. Of course, we had to change our format a little due to our, of our regular show. And these 30, P-38 pilots and the ground crewmen here at the Van Nuys Airdrome would like to dedicate this next tune to their fellow airmen over there. And here we bring Jerry Colonna and Vera Vague under wraps tonight out to lead the Air Corps song. How about that, boys? <laughs> time with all of us here tonight. The last show of the season has given us a lifetime of memories. We'd like to thank all the people who've given us those memories, but the list is longer than a roller towel. The top of the list are kids like these here at Van Nuys and camps all over America. Right beside them are you folks out there in the homes these kids are fighting for. And I'd like to thank the swell gang 
who help us hang this Tuesday night show together. Yes, sir. The last program of the season, and a couple of days ago, maybe that would have seemed important to us. But General Eisenhower and America's finest opened a new season with a new show that tops anything on earth. A new season for freedom and a show that's playing the four corners of the globe. And when that show is over, freedom's enemies will never open again. Let's all hope and work and pray that it may be a short, successful season. Folks, we'll be seeing you again next year. And the best of the best to you and your boys across the sea. Good night. Van Nuys, California. Our host has been the 4th Air Force Command, Major General William E. Lynn Commanding. This is Wendell Niles speaking and returning you to our main studios in Hollywood. The Allied invasion has started. The news to this moment is all supplied by the enemy. The Germans, through the Berlin radio, tell us that the invasion, that's the enemy's word for it, has started. There is no Allied confirmation. Shortly after 1 a.m. Eastern Wartime, Columbia's shortwave listening station heard the Berlin radio make this announcement, quote, Here is a special bulletin. Early this morning, the long-awaited British and American invasion began when paratroops landed in the area of the Somme estuary. The harbor of La Arve, the Berlin broadcast went on, is being fiercely bombarded at the present moment. Naval forces of the German Navy are off the coast fighting with enemy landing vessels. We have just brought you a special bulletin. End quote. That was a German radio bulletin we repeated for you. It was heard by Columbia's shortwave listening station at the beginning of Berlin's 1 a.m. Eastern Wartime news broadcast to North America. It was repeated in the middle of the program, and there is no confirmation from any allied source. In fact, the War Department in Washington says it has absolutely no information on these German radio reports. Here is a bulletin from London. Shortly before 1 a.m. Eastern Wartime, the BBC broadcast the Allied High Command's urgent instructions to Holland, advising all people living within 18 miles of the coast to leave their homes immediately and also to keep off roads, railways, and bridges. This may have been another of the series of instructions the Allied High Command has given the people of Europe. The German-controlled Paris radio at 12.45 Eastern Wartime did not mention any invasion in its news bulletins. The Associated Press recorded a German radio broadcast with the same so-called invasion news. Before we read you the broadcast recorded by the Associated Press, please remember two things. Prime Minister Churchill has warned us that there will be many allied feints, deceptive moves, and we've also been told to expect an invasion story similar to that we're now relaying to you from the Germans. In this way, the Nazis might hope to make the patriots in the conquered countries reveal themselves and thus reduce the effectiveness of these groups when our landing does actually start. Now, here's the Transocean broadcast. Quote, Early Tuesday morning, numerous landing craft and light warships were observed in the area between the mouth of the Somme and the eastern coast of Normandy. At the same time, paratroops were dropped from numerous aircraft on the northern tip of the Normandy Peninsula. It's believed that these paratroops have been given the task of capturing airfields in order to facilitate the landings of further paratroops. The harbor of La Arve is at the moment being bombarded. 
German naval forces have engaged enemy landing craft off the coast. The long-expected Anglo-American invasion appears to have begun. End quote. That's what the Associated Press heard the Berlin radio say. The German agency DNB says Dunkirk and Calais, just across the Channel coast from Britain, are under attack by strong formations of bombers. Transocean said the long-expected invasion by the British and Americans was begun in the first hours of the morning of June 6th by the landing of parachute troops in the area of the mouth of the Somme. Allied headquarters remained silent. The German DNB agency said La Arve was being violently bombarded at the present moment. That was at 7 a.m. German time or at 1 a.m. Eastern wartime. Please remember that the War Department in Washington has no information on these German reports. Although there is no reason to believe the enemy report, CBS will remain in operation overtime tonight until the facts are known. We repeat, this network will operate beyond regular time until the German report has been verified or has been proved erroneous. Erwin Darlington reporting for CBS World News. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Now CBS presents the music of Lenny Kahn and his orchestra from the Hollywood Palladium on Sunset Boulevard in the heart of the nation's film capital. supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. The communique will be repeated. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. This ends the reading of communique number one from Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force. This means invasion. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are back at Columbia's news headquarters, the newsroom in New York. I've just taken the microphone out of the studio again and back into our news headquarters. You have just heard from London, Colonel R. Ernest Dupuy, of the Supreme Headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Forces reading Communique Number 1. Everything to this point has been German reports, and Communique Number 1 now says, under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces supported by strong air forces began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. It is now official. The landings have begun. 
And at this moment, here is Columbia's military analyst, Major George Fielding Elliott. As you just heard from Mr. Trout, the period of doubt is at an end, and we have official announcement of the landing of Allied armies on the northern coast of France. As uh, there's nothing to add to the very bare words of the official communique, it was to be expected that the Allied naval forces would cover the landing and would be engaged in conveying our troops to the coast of France and that there would be strong air support. When there's any further details to give you, we'll bring them to you promptly and we'll try to analyze them for you as well as we can within the limits of the information that we get from time to time. Now, here again is Mr. Trout. Major George Fielding Elliott has been speaking to you, talking about the uh, invasion. I think we can now call it that. Following the reading of the first communique, communique number one from Shafe. That's what we call Supreme Headquarters Allied Expeditionary Forces somewhere in Great Britain. Uh, rather strangely, you know, just before we switched to London to hear the first communique, we were making this uh, informal tour of the Columbia Newsroom, which began at 3 o'clock in the morning. 35 minutes ago, I was standing here in front of the OWI machine and telling you that while all the other news services, the UP, AP, INS, Reuters, all the rest, were sending out all these reports and from uh, Europe, you know, about the German reports, the OWI, which uh, confines itself to official news, sends us the text of the communiques and all that sort of thing, the OWI was printing almost nothing. And uh, since the beginning of the day, since midnight, the OWI had put on only one bulletin, or rather one dispatch of any kind, saying that the Romanian radio reported enemy planes over Belgrade. And, of course, a few moments after I said that, uh, we switched you to London so that you could hear Colonel Dupuy reading the communique. And, of course, at that moment, uh, after I came out of the studio on the OWI machine, here is what is now printed. OWI-2, meaning the second bulletin since midnight. OWI-2, flash. Supreme Headquarters announces allies begin operations on northern coast of France. Bulletin. Communique said, under the command of General Eisenhower, allied naval forces supported by strong air forces began landing allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. 3.34 p.m. Eastern wartime from Washington. That's what the Office of War Information wire says. Uh, still uh, looking over the machines now in a way. It's rather speculative. The, the whole character of this broadcast has changed, and it did change rather abrupt, abruptly. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, if you have been uh, staying with us, you know we started, uh, oh, sometime uh, after midnight. I guess it was about 20 minutes to 1 in the morning Eastern wartime when the Germans began putting these reports out. We've been bringing you frequent reports, and then at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, a little more than 35 minutes ago, we took this microphone here in our uh, studio, which adjoins the Columbia Newsroom in New York, and uh, brought it out here to the news machines and began taking you on an informal tour to show you what a newsroom is like at this hour. And now I hear that we must go to London in a few moments. Ladies and gentlemen, for a broadcast from Columbia's correspondent, Edward R. Merrill, we take you now to London. March with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. 
Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeat in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck. And let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. This order was distributed to assault elements after their embarkation. It was read by appropriate commanders to all other troops in the Allied Expeditionary Force. I return you now to the United States. Now we're back at Columbia's news headquarters again in New York. At this moment, we're in the studio. As a matter of fact, we have to come into the studio now with this unusual arrangement so that we can hear the speaker and hear what Mr. Merrill was saying. That was Edward R. Merrill, Columbia's correspondent in London. Now we're back out in the newsroom with our long cable. And once again, here is Columbia's military analyst, Major George Fielding Elliott. The Allied invasion of Western Europe, as you know, has begun. Such an operation, carrying thousands and hundreds of thousands of troops across water to land them on a hostile shore, is one of the most dangerous of all military operations. There have been few such vast military amphibious operations in all history. Some have failed, but some have succeeded. And no such operation has ever been prepared with the thoroughness of this Allied landing on the European continent. The Allies have been getting ready for it for years. The British have been looking forward to this day ever since Dunkirk. And the moment the United States got into the war, our military leaders realized that the main road to the defeat of Germany lay through the occupied lands of Western Europe, and they began to plan accordingly. Our leaders have also realized that they must strike with overwhelming force. In some military operations, an initial repulse might have little effect. But in this European invasion, it might be fatal, for it would be a disastrous blow to the morale of the people of the conquered nations. So, the plans for the invasion were more complex and more complete than any that military strategists have ever had to work out before. Germany's dash across the Low Countries and France was simple in comparison. So was the German attack on Russia, vast as that operation was. The Allied landings in North Africa and in Sicily involved similar problems to this one, but they were on a far smaller scale. The opposition was much lighter. Nevertheless, the experience gained in these operations has been invaluable in planning for this one. We don't know as yet the details of the first landing operations, but usually an invasion force strikes in three waves. First comes the assault force, which is composed mainly of infantry, supported sometimes by light tanks, and usually also including assault engineers. Its job is to strike quickly, to break up initial enemy resistance, and to secure a foothold on the shore. Before it can land, of course, it must have the support of bombing and fighting planes and of naval artillery. And you will remember that General Eisenhower's first communique emphasized the strong naval and air support which our landing was receiving. 
how quickly these first waves can get ashore depends on the strength of the enemy's defenses and on the effectiveness with which those defenses are reduced by bombardment. We take you now in a few moments for another broadcast uh, to the British Isles. In a moment or two, our signal will be ready. We take you now to London. Here is the text of a report sent to London by Herbert M. Clark for the networks of the United States. This is Herbert M. Clark in a takeoff report from a live expeditionary base. I don't have to explain what the takeoff is. When you hear this, you'll know that Allied forces have leaped the gap between the bases in the United Kingdom and the coast of France. We'll be there, and we'll be there to stay as you listen. As I write this, we're in an unnamed port on an unnamed coast, one of the quirks of military security. But it's a funny thing about security. A week ago in London, I was in a state of constant irritation with security censorship. It was obvious from German radio reports that the Nazis knew things we knew but couldn't say. Since then, I've been living and eating and sleeping aboard the flagship of an Allied assault force, one of the several which are going to hit the Hun where he hurts most, and I find that Jerry knows less than he said he did. Since I've been here, we've had exactly one air alarm, and that not a raid or even a determined reconnaissance. And I also find that I don't object so much to security. My loyalty and responsibility to you back home is overridden by loyalty and responsibility to the soldiers on this boat and the sailors who are carrying them to the beachhead. That objective is also, for the moment, unidentifiable, because the place we've picked for our main landing is one Jerry hadn't figured on, and I don't want to be the one to tell him that our sector is the one where his counterattack should go. The Nazis have been badly outguessed on this whole show. He's going to be surprised by the direction of the attack, and he's going to get a shot by the timing. The master race has fallen down again. I'm treating all this in the past tense as though it hadn't already, as though it had already happened. Maybe that's a mistake, but it's a reflection of the overwhelming confidence of the troops involved and the confidence I've drawn from the tremendous scale of the preparations. We haven't yet moved from our anchorage, but all morning this coastal strip has been full of movement. Ladies and gentlemen, I will digress to say that the next few sentences will be semi-numerously that uh, the script has been censored. There are ships in the task forces which are striking, British, Canadian, and American. They range from big troop carriers and supply ships down to landing crafts. Other vessels, landing crafts, which make most of the journey, piggyback on bigger ships, are in the fleet. Now I admit that I can't conceive of a fleet of ships myself, but I do know that's as far as I can see from the bridge of this ship. Others are dotting the water thickly, and I can see about 30 square miles of water. Well, ships, I'm told, half the force. Double it, and you'll have the hull. And they're all loaded with fighting men and fighting weapons, some of them still secret. With some hours, the vanguard of our force assigned to deal with specific coastal objectives in our sector of Nazi Europe and landing craft lumbering through a choppy sea so slowly that they must start well ahead of time to get to their assigned places at their appointed times. These ships have been moving out. I'm speaking to shore by the last available channel of communication. We'll be following our ships soon, and I hope to be back with you before long with some harder facts. This is Herbert Clark reporting from the flagship of an Allied assault invasion force for the networks of the United States. I return you now to the United States.
Once again in the studio, adjoining Columbia's newsroom at Columbia's news headquarters in New York City. This is Bob Trout speaking again. And now, once again, you'll hear the noise of the bells as I open the door, take the microphone out on the long cable to the newsroom itself. That seems to be the quickest way to get the news to you as it's coming in so rapidly. We started this as a very informal tour about 45 minutes ago when uh, we didn't know that it was invasion. As a matter of fact, the Germans were the only people who had been uh, putting out the reports. And uh, in a few moments, I'd like to sort of sum the thing up for you so we can see where we are at the moment. But uh, it seems that uh, it's the, the story is now at this stage at which interruptions come. Things come in so quickly that it's uh, almost impossible to find time to go back and sum up. We've had the first dispatch from London. We sometimes have to interrupt each other here during this uh, informal broadcast. When we get word to switch rapidly to London, there are only a few seconds in which to do it, and so uh, our broadcast may be abrupt at some point or another, but we're trying to keep you abreast of the news as quickly as possible, and so when we get word that London has something, we just cut whatever we can and go as quickly as possible. Now, I think perhaps the, uh, the best uh, way to uh, uh, get up to date, to bring us up to date here from the, uh, from the exciting moment, the supreme and moment of suspense at which uh, Colonel Dupuy announced in London that this really was an invasion and not just a German trick, I think the best way to bring us ourselves up to date is to go back to this Associated Press machine in front of which I'm standing, start at the copy at 3.33 a.m. in the morning. That's one minute after we'd switched to London, and here's what it says. Flash. That's a very rare thing, you know, in, in the news world. Allies land in France. Immediately afterward, bulletin. Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force, June 6, AP. General Dwight D. Eisenhower's headquarters announced today that Allied troops began landing on the northern coast of France, strongly supported by naval and air forces. The text of the communique, quote, under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces supported by strong air forces began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. In five seconds, I hear we again will get an official report from London. Go ahead, London. You will hear the Supreme Commander, General Dwight D. Eisenhower. His statement will be followed by other messages to the peoples of the countries on the western coast of Europe which are occupied by the enemy. The Supreme Commander, Allied Expeditionary Force, General Dwight D. Eisenhower. People of Western Europe. A landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. This landing is part of the concerted United Nations plan for the liberation of Europe, made in conjunction with our great Russian allies. I have no pleasure for all of you. Although the initial assault may not have been made in your own country, the power of your liberation is approaching. All pictures, men and women, young and old, have a part to play in the achievement of final victory. To members of resistance movements, whether led by nationals or by outside leaders, I say, follow the instructions you have received. To patients who are not members of organized resistance groups, Elpos, continue your country resistance, but do not needlessly endanger your lives. Wait until I give you the signal to rise and strike the enemy. The day will come when I shall need your united strength. Until that day, I call on you for the hard task of discipline and restraint. Citizens of France, I am proud to have again under my command the gallant forces of France. Fighting inside their allies, they will play a worthy part in the liberation of their homeland. 
Because the initial landing has been made on the soil of your country, I will speak to you with even greater emphasis my message to the peoples of other occupied countries in Western Europe. Follow the instructions of your leaders. A premature uprising of all Frenchmen may prevent you from being of Russian left to your countries in a critical hour. Be patient. Prepare. As Supreme Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force, there is imposed on me the duty and responsibility of taking all measures necessary to the prosecution of the war. Count on willing obedience to the orders that I shall issue through the century. Effective civil administration of France must be provided by Frenchmen. All persons must continue in their present duties unless otherwise instructed. Those who have made common cause with the enemy and so betrayed their country will be removed. When France is liberated from her oppressors, you yourselves will choose your representatives and the government under which you wish to live. In the course of this campaign for the final defeat of the enemy, you may sustain further loss and damage. Tragic though they may be, they are part of the price of victory. I assure you that I shall do all in my power to mitigate your hardship. I know that I can count on your steadfastness now, no less than in the past. For the heroic deeds of Frenchmen who have continued the struggle against the Nazis and their vision satellites in France and throughout the French Empire have been an example and an inspiration to all of us. This landing is the European phase of the campaign in Western Europe. Great battles lie ahead. I call upon all who love freedom to stand with us now. Keep your faith strong. Our arms are resolute. Together we shall achieve victory. You have just served the Supreme Commander General Dwight D. Eisenhower. It has just been announced that General de Gaulle has arrived in England. He will broadcast a message to the people of France later in the day. You will next hear the King of Norway, His Majesty King Hokan II. Lansman, from days it is the war for three six times. Some hot six for cooking, after it got stickling off from the lions with iron opening. It will not be any unwetted. No ekebosser go to moon for hustle and a uawala handling. Nun, the season from our theater have an inner stair of the tuning and fur. Or like a fjen, alle sensier, in donner to weil. They must be for a sweet mode. So is a sick heat, we will organization of some fun militaire store in 
Er nåede trænger skuldelse. Eller mat eller nemlig hjælp. Det bliver altid på. Også på den måde har mange i sundhed kommet til at øge den mere værdifulde indsats i frihedskampen. Jeg og min regering sender en varm hilsen til alle landsmænd, som står rent på sin post, og som er forvillige og tillidsfulde til at fremme mod stadig mere krævende opgaver. Vi har allieret styrkes over kommanderende. Vil den en god tid sige fra, om valghandlinger er alle, som står under hans kommando, og gennem kringkastning eller på anden måde, det vores folk vil sige, at der i kontakt med sine konstitutionelle myndigheder. Vi vil også se straffer, som nu går til i kampen, og vi fælder dem i praktene med det varmeste ønske. Vi vil, at de ikke besvigter vores tillid, og vi lover, at vi aldrig besvigter dem. Landsmænd, hold sammen, og vær forret. Vive de forenede nationer sejt. Vive forret. Here is a translation of King Håkon's message to the people of Norway. Fellow countrymen, as a list of the great strategic plan which aims at liberating the oppressed people of Europe, the war in the West has today entered a new phase. We have all received this news with a profound feeling of joy and satisfaction. As we realize that our forces have thereby carried us a good way further on the road to victory and liberation. Heartened by these developments, our people must not allow their enthusiasm to lead them into premature or unpremeditated acts. From now on, however, it will be of even greater importance than heretofore to hinder and impede the enemy by all subtle and covert means that cannot expose yourself or others. This order does not apply to organized resistance groups who are in touch with the Allied military authorities. They have been given their special orders, and they will receive further orders. These they will carry out in the knowledge that if they are in need of a hiding place or food or any other help, they will always find it. In this way also, many of you will be able quietly to take an effective part in the battle for freedom. I and my government warmly salute all compatriots who stand firm at their posts and to look forward to ever more exacting tasks in a spirit of self-sacrifice and confidence. The Supreme Allied Commander will at all times keep you informed about what is expected of everyone under his command. And over the radio and by other means, our people will continue to be in close contact with their constitutional authorities. We salute the forces which have now gone into battle. Our thoughts and warmest wishes go with them. We know that they will not fail us, and we promise never to fail them. Fellow countrymen, keep together and be prepared. Long live the cause of the United Nations. Long live the cause of freedom.
That ends the translation of King Hawthorne's statement. Communique number one, issued by Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force, will now be repeated. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. You will now have the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, His Excellency, Professor Herbrandy. Mannen en vrouwen van Nederland. Nu het grote ogenblik gekomen is waarop de genade spreekkrachten van de machtige aanval zijn overgegaan vanuit het Westen, heb ik enkele zeer ernstige woorden tot u te zeggen. Ik verzoek u hiernaar met de grootst mogelijke aandacht te luisteren en mijn woorden met de afneming van alle noodzakelijke veiligheidsmaatregelen door te geven aan de betrouwbare landgenoten die niet in de verlegenheid waren naar mij te luisteren. Landgenoten, nu de geallieerde motorslag neerkomt op Hitler Atlantic Wall, gaat door ons allen een siddering van ontroering. Onze mannen van leger, vloot, luchtmacht en koopvaardij hebben de taak te vervullen welke aan hen door de militairen opperbevelhebber is toebedeeld. In de harten van ons allen stijgt het dringende beter op dat en al machtige om hulp en bijstand in deze vooral zo rechtvaardige strijd. Een nauw overleg met de geallieerden opperbevelhebber geef ik u daarom de volgende orde waaraan ik verwacht dat iedere Nederlander die van goede wille is, zich zal houden. Mijn orders richten zich niet tot die speciale vertrekgroepen die hun eigen orders hebben ontvangen en daaraan gevolg zullen geven. Ik richt mijn instructies tot hen die niet lid zijn van die speciale vertrekgroepen. 1. Hij zou geen daden van gewelddadig openlijk verzet leven. Het zou den vreden gaan slechts de gelegenheid bieden repressailles te nemen, veel en veel bloediger dan ooit tevoren. 2. Zij die redeneren dat ze gaarne hun leven veilig hebben en ze dus niet willen laten weerhouden van iedere vorm van directe hulpverlening, zijn op het hart verbonden dat de repressailles zich zouden uitstrekken over vrede, maar vrede onschuldigen. Wij kennen de Duitsers. En ik herhaal dus met klem, geen gewelddadig openlijk verzet. 3. Wat daarentegen wel geschieden moet, is overal waar onzichtbaar en onherkenbaar een verzet mogelijk is, moet er onverbiddelijk worden geboden. 4. Daarnaast dient hij alles na te laten wat een vijand van enig direct of indirect voordeel zou kunnen zijn. 5. Vijand zal geen enkel middel verzuimen om u te provoceren of te misleiden. Wees overal waar gij staat of staat gevoelde. Luister alleen naar de aanwijzingen die wij van hieruit geven. 
Wij, zodra van u een krachtiger actie wordt verwacht, zal dit op een onmiskenbare wijze van hieruit worden daaraf gemaakt. Nederlanders, bid met ons om de zegen. Leven het vaderland. Here is a translation of the statement just made by the Prime Minister of the Netherlands. Men and women of the Netherlands, now that the great moment has arrived and the Allied forces have started the mighty attack from the West, I have some very solemn words to say to you. I request you to listen with the greatest possible attention and with due observance of all necessary security measures to pass on my words to trustworthy compatriots who have not been in a position to listen to me. Fellow countrymen, now that the Allied sledgehammer blow is falling on Hitler's Atlantic Wall, we are all thrilled with emotion. Our men of the Army, the Navy, the Air Force and the Merchant Navy have to fulfill the task allotted to them by the military commander-in-chief. In the hearts of all of us rises the urgent prayer to the Almighty for help and assistance in what is for us so righteous a struggle. In close deliberation with the Allied High Command, I therefore give you the following order, which I expect every Dutchman of goodwill to keep. These orders do not apply to those organized resistance groups who have received their orders and who will obey them. It is to those who are not members of organized resistance groups that I address these instructions. One, you will not perpetrate any acts of violent open resistance. It would only offer the cruel enemy an opportunity to take far bloodier reprisals than ever before. Two, those who reason that they are ready to sacrifice their life and therefore do not wish to refrain from any form of direct assistance are urged to consider that the reprisals would extend to a great many innocent people. We know the Germans. And I therefore request, with emphasis, no violent open resistance. This, however, must be done. Wherever invisible and unrecognizable passive resistance is possible, it must be inexorably forthcoming. <clears throat> Apart from this, you must refrain from any act which might be of any direct or indirect advantage to the enemy. Five. The enemy will not fail to employ any means of provoking or deceiving. Wherever you go, wherever you may be, watch your own behavior. Listen, all of you, to the instructions which we give you from here. Six. As soon as more forceful action is required of you, this will be made clear from here in unmistakable fashion. Dutchman, pray with us. Yeah.
Long live the fatherland. That ends the translation of the statement made by the Prime Minister of the Netherlands. You will next hear the Prime Minister of Belgium, His Excellency Monsieur Hubert Pierlot. Mes chers compatriotes, l'heure attendue par vous est proche. Les opérations préliminaires pour la libération de l'Europe ont commencé. Cet assaut initial est l'annonce certaine de votre délivrance. Vous allez vivre des jours difficiles, dans une attente anxieuse. C'est le moment de montrer une fois de plus les qualités de discipline et de maîtrise de vous-même dont vous avez donné tant d'exemples depuis quatre ans. La première règle à suivre sera de modérer votre impatience. La seconde, de ne pas vous laisser tromper par les excitations perfides de l'ennemi et de ne pas vous laisser engager dans des actions prématurées qui ne pourraient avoir pour résultat que de terribles représailles. Les alliés vous sont reconnaissants de la magnifique résistance que vous avez montrée sous l'oppression allemande et le gouvernement est convaincu que vous ferez tout ce qui est possible pour contribuer à détraquer la machine de guerre de l'ennemi. Le succès final de l'effort militaire aujourd'hui commencé dépend en grande partie de la force que vous conserverez pour le moment décisif. Vous souhaiteriez que nous vous demandions tout de suite tout l'effort dont vous êtes capable. Mais une résistance organisée, déjà en possession de ces consignes et le sabotage clandestin, sont maintenant plus utiles. À tous les patriotes, je dis, obéissez avec une discipline complète à tous les ordres qui vous sont donnés par le commandement suprême allié et par votre gouvernement. Mais soyez attentifs à discerner les fausses consignes qui pourraient être lancées par l'ennemi. Ne croyez pas les rumeurs non contrôlées. La seule façon de vérifier l'authenticité des nouvelles est de vous assurer qu'elles sont transmises par les stations de télégraphie sans fil des alliés. Par-dessus tout, méfiez-vous des agents provocateurs. Le moment du suprême combat n'est pas encore venu. Lorsqu'il aura sonné, vous en serez averti par le commandement allié et par votre gouvernement. L'on vous dira alors clairement ce que l'on attend de vous. Utilisez cette période intermédiaire pour perfectionner vos organisations afin qu'au moment voulu, leur action soit pleinement efficace. Dans les souffrances accrues qui marqueront peut-être la dernière phase de la guerre, où les Belges devront plus que jamais montrer un mutuel dévouement et toutes les ressources encore disponibles devront être employées à soulager la misère des plus éprouvés. Les mauvais que nous vous envoyons sont courage, Discipline, solidarité, confiance. Here is a translation of the statement just made by the Prime Minister of Belgium. My beloved countrymen, 
The hour so long awaited by you is near. Preliminary operations for the liberation of Europe have begun. This first assault is the certain signal for your deliverance. You are going to undergo difficult days in a period of anxious waiting. This is the time to show once again those qualities of discipline and self-control which for four years you have so often displayed. The first rule for you to follow is to moderate your impatience. The second is not to let yourselves be fooled by any of the enemy's treacherous provocations. And not to let yourselves be embroiled in any premature action which could result in terrible reprisals. The Allies are grateful to you for the magnificent resistance that you have shown under German oppression. And the government is convinced that you will do everything possible to contribute to the overthrow of the German war machine. The final success of the military undertaking which began today depends largely on the strength that you can serve for the decisive moment. You naturally want us to demand of you immediately all the effort of which you are capable. But the organized resistance, which already has its orders, and clandestine sabotage are at this moment of more use. To all patriots, I say, obey with complete discipline all the orders given you by the Supreme Allied Command and by your government. But be on the alert for false orders which might be issued by the enemy. Do not believe uncontrolled rumors. The only way to check the genuineness of any news is to make sure it is different from Allied radio stations. Above all, access as on The moment of supreme combat has not yet come. When it does, you will be warned of it by the Allied command and by your government. You will then be clearly told what is expected of you. Use the period that intervenes to perfect your organization so that at the desired moment, their action may be fully effective. In the increased suffering, which perhaps will mark the last phase of the war, all Belgians must, more than ever before, show their devotion to each other and use all resources still available to relieve the suffering of those most sorely tried. The watchwords we send you are courage, discipline, unity, and confidence. That ends the translation of the Belgian Prime Minister's statement. Communique number one. This team from Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expedition Report, will now be repeated. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. This concludes the broadcast from Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force. This is the home and overseas service of the BBC. Okay, and that's going to do it for the D-Day episode. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I know the CBS was a little lengthy, but I I find it quite interesting to listen to the old uh, newsreels 
uh, from back then. So, but again, if you want to get in touch with me, maybe su- suggestions on shows or uh, ideas, you can email at otrplaylist at gmail.com. So, I uh, hope you enjoyed, and until next time, thanks for listening.